Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. So one of our favorite episodes that has the most views, Sakib, is uh, or listens, is the episode on college or whether college is necessary or not. Okay. People, for some reason, love that episode. So I'm curious. You're an Ivy League grad. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on whether college is necessary? I, I think, I, I don't think I have a very strong view on it. But what I do think is that some colleges definitely have more value than others. That's the obvious insight. But I think it's that insight is just not acted upon. You, you don't really take a view on it as much. So my, in my opinion, the, the major benefit a college can give you is the, your quote unquote, your network. For example, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and she, she went straight from undergrad straight for an MBA at the same college. And I was like, why would you go to the same college for your MBA? Just simply because I think the whole point of, of schooling has sort of changed from, okay, I'm going to go learn versus more to, okay, I'm going to meet people and I'm going to do cool things simply because your the, the knowledge that you can learn has so largely been democratized you can almost go learn almost anything online you can make an argument for that being you know specialized stem degrees um, hardware focused biotech etc other than those i think for let's say even finance and accounting um, you can really go and you know fire up lynda.com or linkedin learning and and get a lot a lot of the useful concepts in I think, all, like you said, MIT, I think, makes the entire curriculum online. Right. I think Harvard makes a lot of their curriculum right. available online, too, so I actually right. agree. So the utilization of the name is, is important, too, right? So I have, we have somebody on the Boney team who goes to Harvard. Yeah. I can't tell you how many stuff we get for free because yeah. of that Harvard email. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think there's definitely a signaling effect. There's, there's that instant credibility of he or she went to XYZ school, he or she, therefore, he or she might be smart. Um, but I think those of us who have spent some time there will, will have a problem with it because I have seen kids who are, you know, 10x smarter go to you know, community college yeah. or sort of lesser known, lesser known schools versus people who, who went there. Um, and, you know, we can go into a whole rabbit hole of why that is the case. But I think I would I would be wary of judging people by their schools. Yes, on on a, on average, are they more successful? I would say yes. But I, I think I think you know uh, I can I can go a bit more into it. But I think people are generally quite quite bad at identifying causation. I don't think it's because they went to school. I think there's some selection bias. Like they were gonna be successful no matter where where they go. Um, there's that, and I think the other part of it is they were largely helped by that network. So it's it's sort of that tailwind that really pushes them to success. What made you um, choose Cornell? They gave me the most money. <laughs> and that's uh, the other factor too. So yeah. a lot of people can't afford to go to these schools or right. they, they don't know that there's so much endowment right. and scholarships available and they're intimidated right. by it. And I'll be honest with you, I was intimidated by right. I, I didn't know I, I could, I didn't think, because I, I, my parents couldn't afford even community schools, so I didn't right. think that they could afford Ivy League, so I didn't even bother applying yeah no i i I tell all my friends one of the biggest regrets is um i so i didn't i didn't apply to harvard yale princeton because i thought i wouldn't a get in and when i was i'm an international student so um you know back when i was applying i could only apply to eight colleges um Mm. and so 
the common app was an expensive factor, just timing, etc. Um, so the, the sort of big, big name schools I only applied to were Cornell and Brown. And I, I, got, I got into most of the most schools I applied to. I was almost going to go to Middlebury College uh, up in Vermont, but um, Cornell came back with a, with a, with a better package. So wow. I, ended up, I ended up coming here, which, which was probably the biggest game changer of my life. And you majored, what made you major in finance, I'm assuming, right? So, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't major in finance. I studied industrial and labor relations, mm. um, which is, you know, a mixture of economics, business, and law with a focus on workers' rights. Um, and, you know, I am from Bangladesh, um, grew up there, and, you know, had, that had a big impact. I can sort of, I can, there, there's actually a story behind why I chose the major I chose to study. So, um, I went to boarding school in Hong Kong. Um, and and for there, I had to do the IB, just the International Baccalaureate. It's a high, specialized high school program. In order to graduate that, you have to write a 4,000-word um, essay, and it has to be like you know independent work of research. Um, and my my extended essay topic was to what extent did a new factory near my home in DHS in Bangladesh improve the quality of life for for the women who were working there? And so I went around interviewing 36 different workers. Um, one of the workers um, happened to be underaged, but she just took a photo of, she took her sister's ID card, took the photo off and put her own photo on it and went to the factory. Wow. It was pretty obvious that this was not the person um, who, you know, who presented the ID card, but because she had an ID card, no one really cared. Really cool. And so I, I was very touched by that, by that, um, you know, by that interview and when Cornell came to visit our school and they spoke about this school of industrial and labor relations, I was like, wow, this is something I want to study. I thought I, thought I wanted to work for the ILO um, mm-hmm. and that was sort of my, my dream career. Um, but, you know, after I came to the U.S., there were, there were all these like visa situations, sponsorship, etc. So I sort of made a pivot after I joined um, my business fraternity, which was another. So game the the paper. So tell me about the paper. So what was your net, what was your hypothesis and was it was it accurate? Um, yeah, I, 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 my hypothesis was that it was it was like a net benefit to to the community, but I think the the interesting part was that it yes it, it there was there was like a big change even from a cultural perspective you know having having a woman as a as a bread earner um, was definitely a, a game changer but um, the trickle down was not as as strong as what many people think. I think men still manage to, you know, exploit it in some ways. They they manage to take, you know, the salaries from them. They they had they had the allocation power, mm-hmm. right? They, you know, they, they sort of brought in the capital, but then they the or, or the salaries, right? And they sort of had they they still had the call of where where that money went. There there were there were stories, you know, I had to dig a lot. People wouldn't admit it at first, but there were stories of like, oh yeah, like I hide this much money for you know, for XYZ, for my mobile top-ups, for, you know, for my, for my kids, etc. Um, but it, it's, it, was quite, it was quite fascinating how that money got divided up. I think, you know, it probably translates over here too, to here, because, I mean, I would imagine most Bengali families here, both parents work out, yeah. out of necessity, yeah. but what you term the allocation power, it still resides with the men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's definitely an interesting dynamic, um, and I think I think the other way it gets interesting is you know when the kids start to grow up, and you know and you you ha- you start having this debate as to whether they should continue school 
or whether should they should start working at the factory as well and and bring in cash flow. So yeah, it's incredibly tough. And I think I think a lot of us are like you know we take a more high ground and be like oh definitely schooling is the way to go. But you know in that situation, unless you talk to them, unless you sit in their house and like yeah. drink drink jiao with them, yeah. right? It's very hard to tell the actual struggle. Like yeah. it it's a difference between. You know, having having a, a proper bathroom versus not having a bathroom or something like yeah. that. You know, so um, it's you. I empathize. I, I began to empathize a lot with with that community of people um, when when I did that project. So that had a had a very big impact on me. So you, but so you spent time in Bangladesh. You also went to a boarding school in Hong Kong. You also spent time in Nepal, I believe. Burma. Burma. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you traveled a lot. How is that? Yeah. Effect. How, the, how does that form your sort of outlook on, on life? Sure. Um, I can give you a quick background on, on myself. I think that'd be helpful. Um, so I was born and raised in Bangladesh. Um, I was born in Chittagong. Uh, my, my Baba was in the army. So I moved around every two years of my life. My Baba being in the army meant that I had a decent, I, I, I never had like a difficult upbringing or anything like that. The one thing I did lack was quality education because because my ba- Baba was, in the, was an infantryman, he was always posted in like the border towns. So there's no English medium schools. There's no, you know, quality teachers. And, and this was back in, you know, early 2000s. It was, education was, was a struggle. Um, I, my first school was, you know, in Soyutpur, up, up north in Bangladesh, in the, mm. you know, middle of nowhere. But my life sort of took a 180 degree turn when my Baba got posted to Myanmar. So we lived in Burma for four years. So um, when you're when you're a diplomat, you know, government pays for education. I got to go to American school there, mm. and that's sort of where I learned my English. Wow. Um, so spent four years there. Came back to Bangladesh. You know, right place at the right time. Got very lucky. A, a spot opened up at one of one of the top private schools in Bangladesh, and you know, my, my dad had just retired from the army. It was it was a it was a transition transition period. It was it was quite tough. Like I remember being dragged from school to school. Mm. No one wanted a kid in the middle of the year. Yeah. You know, schools are top schools are really, really tough to get into in Bangladesh. But um, I got incredibly lucky that a seat opened up because one of the kids transferred out of the school. So I got to go to Sunbeams, uh, which is one of, one of the top schools in Dhaka. Um, spent three years there from grade seven to grade ten, um, and then you know one of the teachers there told me. I, I funny funny enough, I saw an advertisement of of this network of boarding schools in, in an internet cafe. I didn't think much of it. But one of the teachers sort of brought it up and uh, recommended that I, tr- I tried it out. And then so I got a scholarship to go to boarding school in Hong Kong, spent two years there, did the IB. And then I, I was very lucky to get a scholarship to come to Cornell. Um, it, was a, it was a Singaporean lady, uh, Lisa Yang, who sponsored my education. So Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so that's how I ended up here. So your parents had nothing to do with any of, any of that? Um, no, they did. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would yeah. never say that. Uh, I think, I think when you're, when you're, you're an ex-retired army officer in Bangladesh, paying that one thousand five hundred or whatever it was for the ticket just of to course. come from Dhaka course, to yeah. New York was was a big deal. Okay, um, and they definitely covered that. Um, I, I, I was, I never had any any sort of financial hardship. Um, you know, growing up, and my, my parents, my, I remember my dad, you know, going out of his way for that. Um, he would drive me to school himself. You know, in Bangladesh, we all have like drivers and cars and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. And <laughs> it's it's funny that I think about it back then. I remember um, back when I was in back when I was in middle school, we would drive a car up uh, to to school, and I always ask my dad to park a block away. 
because all my friends would have like all these fancy really? like yeah Lexus and you know a nice Benz here and there and I and I remember our our that car at that time was like a '90s Toyota and we were just like na baba you know let's 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 stay back but. Um, you know, I, now, now, now I think about it, I was like, wow, that was a tremendous amount of sacrifice yeah. on part of my dad. I'm also a late child, so he's, he's, he's a lot older. Um, so uh, truly, truly grateful for, for what they have done for me. It's, it's pretty crazy. So people, people that move around a lot as a child, so Shaquille O'Neal, he's a basketball player, I'm sure you know. Yep. Big basketball fan. He was uh, an army brat as well. Okay. And, but in his career, he played for like, eight teams in basketball. And he always said that part of that was because that's how he just grew up. Yeah. He just constantly moved and he was just always had his bag checked. Yeah. Uh, bad, I'm sorry, bags uh, packed. Yeah. And so do you find yourself having that sort of mindset? Um, yes and no. Um, I think, I think the, the, the big thing is you, you, you sort of become a bit more comfortable with change. Yeah. Um, you learn how to adapt very quickly. Make friends. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I tell I tell a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of my friends who are like, oh my god, it's so cool. You got to like go around. You know, you spend so much time around. But it has its pros and cons. Like I don't have like a childhood best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really have like a friend that I have kept in touch for you know decades. Where mm-hmm. whereas you know I, I would see like photos on Instagram going like, yo, my best friend yeah, yeah, at my yeah. wedding. So. So that that's that's been a challenge, but on the flip side, like you said, like I was just able to, you know, I was able to go to a tea stall in in Bangladesh, and you know, just chill with the chill with the shopkeeper there and mm-hmm. talk about cricket and whatnot. Um, and I was also able to, you know, go on the fortieth floor of three eight three Madison at J P Morgan, and you know, be able to reasonably connect with the managing director there and talk to clients, etc. So. Um, I think that that skill I, I wouldn't really have had or it wouldn't come as naturally to me as it did if it wasn't if I wasn't put in like very uncomfortable positions early on as a kid. That's an imp- so such an important skill. Yeah. Being able to talk to people from wherever. Right. I, I, I feel like they should focus more on communication skills like that in, uh, in the university. Um, that's super special. It's something I guess you just learn over time. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's something you learn over time, and I think you know Bangladeshetabogadhaka keshikaha. You know, like yeah. you, you sort of you only learn when you when you're pushed uh, to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, like for example, the boarding school I went to, um, United World Colleges. It's a network of boarding schools. I think they're in like 17, 18 different countries now, um, and it's a two it's it's a two year school, so it's grade eleven and grade twelve. And it was founded right after World War II by a German man called Kurt Hahn. And his idea was that he would create this boarding school where people from all over the world would come and live together. Mm. And that was a way to avoid World War III, which is pretty idealistic, pretty cool concept. Um, so my school, we had, you know, more than 70 to 80% of people were on scholarships. Um, so I had, you know, roommates from South Korea, Canada, uh, Hong Kong. Had you know, had I still keep in touch with my friends from Burundi, from Kosovo, um, you know, all over the world, wow. like Moldova. Like wow. these are countries that I don't think I would have like heard heard names of. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, that through through going to boarding school with them and you know spending time with them, playing playing soccer, etc., I you know got to know them. I got to sort of got to know their stories, yeah. how they think about things, um, which is such such an important um, sort of insight. When it when it came to coming coming in, it just made it, it made things a lot easier when I came here because I was like, okay, 
everyone has their own unique story. How how can I find the common denominator and sort of connect with them? Yeah, that was that was very very helpful. The other thing I just realized you have, and I, I and I, I struggle with is you because you just use a Bengali idiom, dhaka uh, yeah. and you know be, using idioms is so such an important part of communication. So <laughs> Barack Obama is obviously. Yeah. an amazing uh, speaker. Part of it is because he uses Id- idioms very um, accurately and effectively. Yeah. So you just use a Bengali idiom effectively. And I think, so that means, so I, so it's, what I'm saying is you can communicate in Bangla and English very intelligently. I struggle with that. So for example, you know, I've spoken to people, if I wanted to, let's say, do a podcast in Bangla, I'd have a tough, difficult time right. because, not that I can't speak Bangla, I'm a Bangla Bhalo, I'm a Shad and Gautam Alib, and that's fine. Right. But I can't have an intelligent conversation where I sound like uh, I, I know what I'm talking about, even if it's a subject I'm not an expert in. So like right. you said, I can talk to a managing director at investment bank, and I can talk to a tech person, I can talk to a college student in English, yeah. but I can't necessarily do that in Bangla. So, I, mm-hmm. so you have a huge advantage of that you can do that. Yeah, like I think I think part of it I, I have to give credits to, you know, my my teachers at school, like my Bangla teacher at school. I it was you know, when I came back from Myanmar, thinking about it, I had four years of I didn't really I, I missed out on schooling. Mm. So when I came back in grade seven and at Sunbeams, I was thrown into pretty difficult Bangla classes. Mm. Um, and I really remember struggling. But by the time I did my O levels, which was like the grade ten exam, I, I think I was probably one of the best um, in class. And that's because I really pushed myself. I I really, I really, you know, focused on my literature. I spoke to my teachers and even, even as a kid, I was like, you know, how can I improve? Like, what, what should I be reading? What should I be doing? So uh, there, there was a section in class called Bhagdhara, which is idioms. Um, And, you know, I, I I really enjoyed that because I just, I just thought they were funny. Some of the ones I really enjoy were, you know, gacha kathal go fitel. You know, mm. like planning ahead. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. the kathal still, See, the jackfruit still on the tree. Yeah, yeah. There's one, and the other one is you know jarbietar kavornai para protivishe gumnai. It means like you know whoever's getting whoever's getting married. He 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 he's like he doesn't really care. But all their <laughs> neighbors are so are so like you know. I love that. That is funny. I like that. Yeah. So it's like it, it it's I and I and I try to I I find myself using it you know yeah. quite often. Um, and, and I always tell my friends I'm I'm quite upset that um, my my command of English isn't as good as as it is in in Bangla. Really? Because I I would say so. Um, because I just I can't I, I just feel I'm like 10x funnier and able to connect in more Bangla? In, in Bengali. Yeah. Interesting. I wouldn't um, see that. But yeah, I think use use of idioms is super important. And you talked about this earlier a little bit before we even started. Is some Bengali people have a uh, do do have a tough time because the use of idioms is super important. And I feel like I don't know why. And you tell me maybe you you have you thought about this, but Indians do a better job at it, and I wonder why. Because I've seen Indians at companies I work for that are super senior, and they have a thick accent, like mm-hmm. a super thick accent, mm-hmm. much thicker than Bengali. <laughs> but they can still communicate effectively, and they are better at using idioms. But also, sentence structure is more in line with uh, U.S. sentence structure. So why, why don't yeah. Bengalis not have that? Yeah, um, uh, this, this may not be as related, but I think going back to the accent and the... Uh, all the but all I feel the, like Indians also have a thick accent, but yeah. I feel like they're better at communicating. Right, so so yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. I was just going to say that, first of all, I think the accent and the pronunciation, all that... Um, I, I often I often struggle with it, and I remember you know confiding confiding in one of my professors, going like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm a little insecure about you know when I first came to the U.S. I would I would say I'd say like, remember the, the word metabolism? I would I pronounce it weird, 
and be like, I'm like insecure about it. <laughs> and and what she, what she told me something that was super insightful. She was like, you know, it you sh- you should not be because it just means you learn the word by reading, and which probably shows that you know you you yeah. you gain your knowledge from from like different mediums, and it says nothing about you. I think you know it just it's just a, it just happens to be that you learned it in a in a different way, and so you don't you don't know how native speakers do it. So I think. The reason I bring up the story is because I think when it comes to Indians and their accents, they actually learn a lot of their English back home in school. Whereas uh, in our country, I think people who speak English well often I, I often don't really learn at school if it other than English medium schools. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, other than that, I think they often learn from family. They yeah. learn from movies. They learn from Cartoon Network, <laughs> which which I, I watch yeah. a lot of SWAT, cat, SWAT cats and whatnot. Um, and they learn from you know places out, outside outside um, school, and that's why I think they don't we don't have that. That's my theory as to why we don't have such a strong accent because we we learn in a different way, whereas they actually have such a strong focus within their school curriculum, even in their national curriculums, um, versus us. That makes sense. That makes sense. I had a traumatizing incident when I was I think maybe fourth grade. Yeah, I said. In a coupon, I said capone. <laughs> I still remember it. it really when I have something crazier, I didn't. When I first came to third, I, came, I started in the third grade, and yeah. I didn't know what the word spell meant. So spell, I didn't know what yeah. spell meant. Yeah. And my teacher was asking me to spell my name. I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> so he just kept. I just kept saying my name over and over. I kept saying my parents' name, and uh, I just kept saying everybody's name. And then he finally spelled his name. Then I knew what he was talking about. Ah. So I was like, I still remember it. It was like traumatizing. Everybody was just laughing. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's a, yeah. so going. So now you're uh, you you obviously you graduated from Cornell and you worked for uh, you worked in PE for a, a little bit. Uh, oh, like I banking. In, yeah, investment banking. Tell, tell people about I banking because. Everybody wants to. Everybody in finance and econ <laughs> wants to be an eye banker. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I was an econ major, and I probably wanted to be an eye banker too, not yeah. knowing what the hell it is. Yeah. First, tell people what eye banking is. Yeah. And to also then tell people uh, the pros and cons of eye banking. Yeah. I, I think I think before I go into that, I would like to point people to prop, like some better resources they can look into. I think the best website for that is Mergers and Inquisitions M and I. They can they can sort of read it and they have like this free guide to what it is, etc. How to recruit, etc. So I think I would highly recommend to check that out. But essentially, what investment banking is, um, core investment banking is basically two things. One is strategic advisory, um, and two is capital raising. So strategic advisory means, like when you have a big company, you have so many divisions, etc. A, should you go buy that company? Should you sell a division? How do you do that in the most tax efficient manner? Will it trip our credit ratings, etc.? Basically, coming up with strategy when it when it comes to you know your financial metrics. How do you message it to investors, etc.? That's the strategic in, in advisory part, and that's the M and A that people, everyone hears about: mergers and acquisitions. You buy and sell assets. Um, joint ventures, etc. So that's the that's the cool sort of the, like the more popular part of investment banking. The other side, uh, which which is uh, a lot larger, is the capital raising side. So should I should I raise a bond? Should I go public? Do I do an IPO? Do I do a secondary um, equities? Do I issue a convertible note? When is a good time to do a con- convertible bonds? Um, you know, well, how do I what do I go tell my investors? Why am I raising this bond? How do I how do I position my user proceeds? 
um, do I pay myself a dividend or do I like hold it and like, you know, pay my debt off capital allocation, right? So all, all, of, all of that. So that's why strategic advisory and capital raising go hand in hand. But those are the two main functions of why, um, what investment banking is. But yeah, I think uh, the, the other part I, that you didn't ask, but I think I would still add is, you know, why, why does it ha- Why do people work such long hours and why, yeah. why, so, why they have that notorious reputation? Um, it's because uh, like sort of like consulting, um, it's, it's, a, it's a very client driven industry. Um, and so the, way, the, the model, the way it works is, you know, you, you have clients and you will serve them, but you don't have just one client, you have multiple clients. And so, you know, it quote unquote blows up at, at some times where mm. a client comes back late evening and goes like, hey, I need this ASAP. Mm. And that's what really drives the long nights and, and keeps you there. Gotcha. So. so a lot of times you're just waiting. Yeah. Are you researching, reading? Yeah. Um, you, you would think you're waiting, but thing is, if for like the real, real good analysts, associates or junior level people I've seen is they don't really wait around. They, they get, a, get ahead on their other it, stuff. Um, which really avoids, you know, staying up late and whatnot, and really going going and bugging their VPs and asking, hey, what can I do for this project? How can I get ahead? I have a couple of hours now, okay. you know, stuff like that. So, but yes, there is there is some sitting around from three to five p.m. for no reason, and then mm-hmm. a sprint from six p.m. to four a.m. the next day. Wow, what's the longest stretch <laughs> that you work consecutively? How many hours? Um, the longest stretch, I think, longest stretch I worked was. I got in that day at 9.30 a.m. And I think I worked until the next day until dinner time, 6 p.m. Wow. Thing. And, then, and then I just, I couldn't, and then my manager actually told me to go home and take a nap. Wow. This is, <laughs> wow, that's it's, crazy. It's pretty bad, yeah. I had to, I had to buy, buy a new shirt <laughs> in the middle. Go, go down to Charleston. Really. Wow. <laughs> but it is amazing what your body can do, though, because I remember yeah, um, yeah, when sure. uh, during this Previous Ramadan, for some reason, whatever reason, I couldn't really sleep. There were yeah. many days where I actually didn't sleep for like two, three days, and honestly, it wasn't. It was okay. Yeah, it wasn't. And I'm, uh, yeah, you're a lot younger than I am, so yeah, no, it was okay. I, I, I really wouldn't recommend it. I think, yeah, I think it's so, so like yeah. you know, your, 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 the veins on your neck start getting, yeah. start cramping up. But you know? did it for a year. Uh, how many years? I did, I did it for a year and a couple months. Okay, a year and a, almost a year and a half. Okay. and I did two summers. So my first summer, I did sales and trading, which is different from just under the corporate investment bank but different yeah function um you know, pretty pretty self uh, explains itself right like it's just sales and trading yeah but i i thought i wanted to try out investment banking so i did that the other summer my my june the summer between my junior and senior year i did that and then okay. went back full time so so you talked about the pros and cons uh what, what are some of the pros you actually didn't talk about some of the pros of investment banking uh, I, I think I think I think the pros the pros are that you at a very very young age often get to sit in or just listen to how some really large companies are are doing thinking about stuff right so um, you know how how is you know GE thinking about their business how how are how is Boeing thinking about you know their their production stoppage etc like. You are really in the middle of it all, and you get you get um, access to you know high level management, really high level strategic thinking. Um, that's one. Number two, I would say you get to work with some of the smartest people, you know, cream of the crop. Um, and and here's another another part. I think going back to the beginning of the conversation, a lot of lot of them were not from you know Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cornell, whatever it is. Um, some like the smartest the smartest guy. You know, I I you know 
apologies to people who, who I might be forgetting, but one the smartest guy that I work or I work with was Oleg was this this guy. He he left the firm now from JP Morgan. He works in private equity in Chicago, but he didn't go to a fancy school. I think he went to Northern Illinois. Um, school school in Chicago, yeah. um, but he was the best analyst by far, and he had a reputation on the floor to be someone who's just really good at what he does, highly analytical, very reliable, um, and you know, like just overall good guy. Um, and so, you know, same, same with Matt Maloney. I think he went to like University of New, New Hampshire. He, he's another guy who he he also left the firm. He's working in private equity now, Charles Bank. Super incredibly smart. Some of the best people that, that you know I I know, and some people I really really look up to. And and I think and I think you know I'll, I'll hopefully knock on wood I'll have access to them yeah. for the rest of my life. And I think that's so that's, invaluable. And you know just hearing what they what they have to think about about certain things that's so valuable. So that's that's two. Number three, I think the big thing for me, you know, coming from an international background, coming from Bangladesh, is just to see how people carry themselves. Just to see how how do MDs talk to clients, how how do they convince people, how do they go out and win business, how do they think about competitors, how do they think about positioning themselves? Mm. There's so many like war stories out there that you can you can learn so much from. And yeah, I, I mean, look, like I, I did I leave prematurely? Probably I, I left you know year year and a half in, but you know I I think I think there's just so much to learn. Um, every day, every day is like a whole different game, and you're you're learning you're learning a lot from, from that. Well, the, uh, what I'd really like to talk about also is, and, and this is what I really wanted to talk to you on the podcast is your next venture, your other ventures called the Capsule. Yeah. And I'll just say just to preface that conversation is, I really I've always said that uh, I really would love to see younger people, younger Bengali people, start companies. Yeah. I uh, I unfortunately wasn't able to do that at a young age because of financial necessity. I had to make money right away. Mm-hmm. And if I could go back and in hindsight, 2020 is would have started something a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad to see people like you and others starting companies yeah. so young. Yeah. So what are your, what are your motivations? Tell us about capsule and what, are, what was your motivation for starting it? Yeah. So it's not something I do full time uh, and I don't, I don't call it a startup per se. It's more like oh, okay. a passion project on the side. I, but that's how a lot of these things start up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm, my, my full time job, the, my ne- next job I'm going to is like a fintech focused venture fund. Yeah. So, the, you know, fintech in the most broadest sense ever and like, you know, we like investing in like platform economy. We were talking a little bit. We, I can dive into that a bit more. But the capsule is uh, basically a bite-sized content platform for South Asia. I realized that there was nothing. There's no media platform that really brought together, you know, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, and um, under one umbrella. There were a bunch of stuff like the Juggernaut and and you know. Um, I like the Juggernaut. Yeah, they're, they're very cool. We really, really like them. They they sort of. They, they had that, but they were all very U.S. focused. There wasn't anything for people in Bangladesh. Mm. There wasn't something in for people in Sri Lanka, in Pakistan. And so they are, there's some really, really cool stuff going on. Like so if, you, if you, if you yeah. see what Patao is doing, if you see, Amazing. you know, like Nepali companies and Sri Lankan companies, you know, like just, um, you know, and one of, one, of the, one of the next guests I'm going to bring on is Chalinda. He launched the Lankan Angel Network, and this, the Sri Lankan startup, like tech scene, is really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, so there's just so much going on, but there, there, there are very few platforms that are, who are actually telling stories from there. So yeah, I, I thought that it, that was an interesting opportunity. This was actually, um, and the, our core offering is actually a newsletter. Um, it was very inspired by Morning Brew. That, that, com- that company was just growing up when I was a freshman. My sophomore year, there was an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship class, and this was sort of my final semester project. And so we started, like, the whole idea sort of started as, oh, there's this untapped market. Newsletters aren't, aren't a thing. This is back in, what, 2016. Um, you know, newsletters aren't a thing back home. Like, and it's really, the startup costs are very, very low. But if you can amass a large number of users very quickly, you have you sort of build your barriers to entry over time because your brand becomes synonymous, yeah. right? Yeah. So that was that was the core insight that there's nothing like there's nothing bite-sized there. And then from there, we realized, okay, there has to be some localization to the product. People care about news, like that's good. You you want you want to keep people informed, and that's sort of our theme. Like you stay informed in three minutes. Reading each of our newsletters are, are less than three minutes or less. But the other part of it was educational content. There was just so much, so much out there on the internet. We talked about how like good materials democratize and everything's out there on the internet. But people back home don't really know where to look. It's overwhelming. Um, and I realized like stuff of the some of the stuff we are not not some most of the stuff we we're learning at Cornell were not rocket science. It was very easily accessible. It was just presented to us in a way we were spoon fed that. So I was thinking, okay, what if I can take some of this stuff? that I was learning at Cornell and package it in an easy digestible manner and just link it for those who are like, who want to read more about it, they can click on the link and learn more. We would have something very valuable in our hands. So, you know, so we have the, the newsletter, the format that we do right now is we have the headlines and right underneath we have, you know, um, a brain teaser of the day and we have, um, we feature an art. And so it's called of art and artists. So we feature a musician, an artist, or anything from from the south from the South Asian region, and then we have we have an interchangeable section that rotates every every issues. One is professional development tip, so stuff like keyboard shortcuts, stuff like how do you Love protect it. your password, stuff like how do you write a good cold email, etc. And then the other the other one is here's something interesting, or here's what we find interesting, right? So stuff like what what really happened? What is what is the actual history behind the Taj Mahal? Who like you know what's what's something in, like how did you know how, how like history music how did, how did X Y Z person come up with their with their with their music and and their tone what is going on with you know the fusion music culture etc so something something exciting in or new novel in in history in media anything outside sort of the professional development range. So uh, the goal is, you know, you, you not only know your, um, you not only know your headlines and find out what's going on in tech, et cetera, you're the, the second half of the newsletter, you're, you're also more cultured. You're more, you're more knowledgeable. You, you're, you're sort of in tune. There are, the idea is that you, you can read something about there and sound really smart at, at you know, at a party or something, because yeah. you just, you just have more stuff to talk about. You sound cultured, you sound in, in touch with, what's going on. Um, and, you know, like, like I said, I, I think that's such an underrated um, aspect of communication that people don't really realize. Like the, the one thing I will say is, you know, Ali Hamed, who's my, who's my new boss at this new fund. Uh, he's the, he's a partner at CoVenture. And he, he always says, 
Now, people spend so much time trying to be interesting that they forget to be interested in stuff. And um, yeah, so the whole the whole idea is we try to get people interested in stuff because the moment you're interested in stuff, that you automatically become interesting. Yeah. Versus if you try to be interesting, yeah, you're not really that interesting at all. That's a very yeah. good point. I like yeah. that. You know, one we talked about Joe Rogan earlier. One of the reasons yes. he's such a popular podcast host, regardless of you know, there's a lot of controversy around him too, but. The reason he's very popular is because he's just really interested. He brings on people about and talks about topics that he's just generally interested in right. and a wide variety of topics. And right. he just asks some questions that I think everybody wants to know. And that's why he's so popular. Right. That's why I love this podcast too. That's why I love having a podcast. I don't care how many people listen to it. I just love right. talking to people that yeah. know about things that I don't know about. I find that interesting. My favorite thing about your newsletter is a GIF. Yeah. Like the funny joke. Yeah. Uh, who selects that? Do you or somebody um, it, it's, it's a team. So, um, you know, quick shout out to the team. So we are, we are a very, very small team. We're all part-time. So we have Sal Sabil. Sal Sabil Salah, she works at GM. She studied electrical engineering at Purdue. We have Zafin, who is uh, who's a rising junior at, actually rising sophomore. Uh, really smart kid in University of Waterloo, studies math. Um, Umran came on as a co-founder. He was a freshman when I was a senior at Cornell, incredibly smart guy. We have Mukit, um, who is at UC Berkeley studying economics. Really, really good team. Um, so the GIF usually comes from Sal Sabil or me, uh, but the others also chime in sometimes. Yeah. Um, and we have one other person who we, we think is our secret sauce. Uh, he's a high school student, uh, Samin, in, in Bangladesh. Oh, wow. He's a tech whiz. He, oh, wow. he really... He did a lot of our tech tech stuff on the back end, and we are so excited about him. Um, we think we think that you know he's he's going to be the next big thing, and from, yeah. from from the tech, from like in a tech person, yeah, in Bangladesh that. or like we we're trying to convince him to apply to like MIT and and really? you know, Caltech and whatnot because we think we think he's on that he's on that level. Wow. Um, so yeah, so super incredible team. I think I, I, it's it, just because I do a lot of the live sessions on our Instagram yeah. channel, like I, similar to what you're doing, like, yeah. um, except, except that I don't bring people like myself. I bring some really big rock stars, no, but, you're a rock star, yeah. um, where, you know, I get to talk to them. People, people think it's just me because my face goes on there a lot, but yeah. you know, this team sort of does 80% of it. Um, Salsabil yeah. and Umran Mukit, Mukit, Mukit Zafin and Samin, they just do so much. Um, and I'm so grateful to them. Like I, I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that, you know, I, pe- people may think I'm taking, you know, I, I do all the work, but I, I really don't want to take credit yeah. here. I, and I think that's, that's, uh, that was a key insight as well. Like just, I had this idea since 2016. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about like, you know, playing around with it. Um, but until, 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 unless I found the right team, to do it, it, it never really went anywhere. Yeah. But now I think the growth is pretty exciting. Really, yeah, I've seen it grow and I'm really excited about it. But what you just said is so important. Everybody has ideas, and I, I've had so many ideas. It's all about the execution and helping having that team uh, helps you with the execution. Yep. How do you select co-founders and then also people to join the team? Um, yeah, so uh, we the one of, one of the reasons that we don't really make the team too large is because we're like okay we don't know we don't know where this is going to go yeah. we don't really want to dilute ourselves too much um, again like we haven't monetized it and we don't plan to do so anytime soon um, but we do have like certain growth targets where if we don't hit them we don't think we'll pursue certain because because right now we do a bunch of stuff right like we do we do like the live show on Instagram we do our email newsletters and then you know we have like separate campaigns on on instagram like some some of our stuff went like pretty viral i would say like stuff like you know we posted we basically 
uh, curated all the mental health organizations that are present in South Asia. So mm. we, we had, you know, if it's a slider post on Instagram. So we had, you know, all the mental health organizations that work with mental health in Bangladesh, in Nepal, in Sri Lanka, in Pakistan. We had their numbers and we were like, hey guys, if you have a problem, here are your resources. That, went, that was shared like a few hundred times, which was awesome. It was just all idea. And then, you know, we have, we have like, we just do all these, like all these things that we think are cool or think are helpful to people. But I think at some point we will probably have to like streamline everything, especially now that I'm, you know, starting, starting this new job. I'm like employee number one there. And I think I'm going to be pretty busy with that. Um, I really want to make sure that we are focused on what is actually working and what our readers and our audience really likes versus, you know, I think the, the time for experimentation is ending now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on social media and Instagram specifically as a uh, medium? Yeah, I think I um, I would I would highly recommend people to sort of check out Ali Hamed and Brian Horowitz's work. Um, I can I can link it somehow. Um, but basically, they they they're big thinkers on on you know these platforms and then the economies that are coming emerging economies that are coming around these platforms. I think um, their Instagram, TikTok, whoever you say, in the future are going to have um, a very big incentive. Um, to compensate their like their user generated content, right? So they they would want there has to be a reason for you Kamuhai to be in on Instagram versus TikTok. There ha- like how do they incentivize you to stay by giving you like better resources, compensating you? Why why is why is YouTube so so popular? Because everyone knows you can make money on it. Yeah. You know, IGTV they're starting to roll out on it, but I think uh, not. I think they think, which uh, by virtue of being associated with the firm, I sort of uh, all I I obviously left left to go join them because I believe in them. I I think like that is the future. I think there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of um, like competition between these platforms. And you know how you see the quote-unquote streaming wars on Netflix, uh, Spotify, etc. That's all going to come to the social the, the social wars. That's what you know Ali says, and um, I, I, I'm already starting to see. You know, as someone who like is in the space, I'm already to start starting to see that happening. Like everyone's like, "Why are you not on TikTok?" We're like, "Nope, <laughs> we like reels." <laughs> you know, we we're betting on reels. We're betting on Absolutely, IGTV. Yeah. I see that. Um, and why are we not on Facebook? Facebook is like wildly popular back there. But like, yeah. I think I think Facebook is such a saturated platform. I think Instagram is Instagram catches uh, a different segment, and I, and we are very excited about that as well. Cool. So, what else do you have going on that people should know about? Um, not much. I, uh, I I'm doing a master's on the side, so I didn't I didn't get. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How you how do you find time to do that? Um, to be very honest with you, like. You know, I, I'm, I'm no superhuman. There's been times where I'm late on assignments and I just go back, cry to the professor and be like, please. Where are you so, doing your master's? Uh, it's, a, it's an online school um, up in Philly. So I didn't get my H-1B visa. Okay. So I, I was, I was, you know, I, my, my one year of OPT, which is the year you have if you graduate from here, sort of ran out. And so I um, started this master's. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to get a master's because, also because, like, it helps with a bunch of stuff, you know, perspective also yeah. helps with like your my PR application in Canada etc and yeah so I'm, so I'm doing that on the side and it's it's been tough it's definitely been tough um, but it, it is what it is uh, it, it allows me to stay back for two more years 
Great. Um, yeah. And then well, I'll, and I'll see what happens after that. I did a master's part-time and I regret doing a master's part-time um, just because what you talked about earlier about the relationships, mm-hmm. I just didn't build that uh, doing a part-time. I, all of my friends that I, I know now are from undergrad mm-hmm. and that was because I went full-time. Mm-hmm. I can't think of one person I keep in touch with for my master's. Uh, just because you know you're yeah. you're going after work, you're tired. Yeah. You just want to go home. You're not really gonna yeah. hang out and talk I, to people. I, I, I do. It, so I do think that I might pursue um, a real MBA. Yeah, like a full time one at some point. You think it's too late for me to do an MBA? Uh, you think you're too old? Ever too old? Uh, how like thirty seven? If you don't mind, thirty seven. I, I I would I would say so. Uh, and so the the reason the reason I think okay, first of all. Um, I'm no expert, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think being slightly on the older spectrum will make it tougher to sort of connect with people. J- just because I'm, I'm thinking about you know what I saw at Johnson, which is mm. Cornell's MBA school. The people were between somewhere between 26 to 35. Okay. Um, 35 often being you know military veterans and older people, mm. and they often had a hard time because you know they had families, they had yeah. their halves. Whereas, you know, the, the MBAs who I felt like got the most out of the program were those who didn't have other obligations, could really, yeah. you know, could go out with their friends at, at bars at like Wednesday yeah, yeah, nights. Yeah. <laughs> that's where, you know, the, the, the close friendships are built, etc. So I think that's the only reason. But you never know. People make it work. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a 12-year-old at Cornell. Um, you have a 12-year-old yeah, at Cornell? You, you can Google that. He's, he's studying like physics or something. He's studying literally the hardest major. What in the hell? Yeah, I know. Just, just, you, you can Google him. That 12-year-old kid at Cornell. And then you also have like, you know, old people. Um, wow. And they, they gain value from it. Yeah. They sound like they gain value from it. So. No, I, I think I know the answer. It also depends on what I want to do. If I need it, yeah. based on what I want to do. So, yeah. um, I, I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My opinion would be that. Yeah, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, so. So we'll figure we'll figure that out. But it's great, great talking to you. Yeah. Like we can talk forever it's about so many topics. Yeah. Right. So and that's one thing I like about this. I get to talk to people again smarter than me are and are doing interesting things. So thanks for coming on and let us know what else you have going on. Yeah. No. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think coming coming from Bangladesh, a lot of my friends are you know from the Bangladeshi community from from Bangladesh. Mm. But I haven't really gotten a chance to meet. Uh, I met a few, but I have. I, I don't think I've gotten a chance to meet a lot of people who are, you know with Bangladeshi heritage, but born and raised here. So it's it's awesome to like. It's awesome for me to you know hear about their stories through the Boney podcast. Where thanks thanks for all you do. It's it's been awesome to be to be on here and also as an audience. I think I, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. I gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls, yeah, yeah, Bengali's in New York, all over the world, uh, it's the bony show, uh, hey, can you handle this, representing the boroughs where the bangles live, from the slang we spit, to the gangs we with, it doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh, I say, hey, come on, can you handle this, representing the boroughs where the bangles live, from the slang